Welcome back, Crimeaholics. I hope you all have had an incredible week. I spent this past week with my mom and my kiddos because she finally was able to come spend a few days with us here in Las Vegas. It was so nice because I celebrated my 34th birthday as well as my son's fifth grade graduation. Holy cow, I cannot believe I'm literally about to have a middle schooler on my hands. If anyone has any recommendations on how to get through these preteen and teen years, please send them my way because I am stressing. So today's case is one that needs a warning. And this case is not very old. It's definitely a little bit more recent, but I don't remember hearing anything about this case when it all played out. And that's shocking because this case involves the death of a pregnant woman who once again had her baby cut from her womb. This is why I am giving this episode a warning before diving into the details on this case. It's crazy to me that this is something that I'm learning that happens far more often than I think I realized. Women are being targeted because they are pregnant, and that is absolutely terrifying to think about. They're being targeted for the purpose of their baby to be stolen from their bodies. This is the third or maybe it's my fourth case I've covered since starting this podcast that involves the death of a pregnant woman and her unborn child. And though every murder and death I cover is tragic and completely gut-wrenching, there is just something about murdering a pregnant woman for the sake of stealing her baby that literally makes me sick. And I know there are a lot of people who listen to our podcast or other podcasts that feel like these stories are just too much to handle. So again, listener discretion is advised. So with all that said and out of the way, let's get into the details of this case. Today's episode is on the murder of Marlene Ochoa Lopez and her unborn baby boy, Giovanni. Marlene Ochoa Lopez was born on November 16, 1999, to her parents Raquel and Arnolfo. She also had a brother named Oscar. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find much about her life growing up with her family or her childhood, really, but what I did find was that she was extremely loved by her family. Marlene was described as someone who was always laughing and having a good time. She was very joyful and had so many friends. Overall, she was a very big social butterfly and just loved to be in the company of others. Marlene's parents had immigrated from Mexico to the States and settled in Chicago, Illinois. When she finally was able to join her parents in Chicago, she made it a priority to focus her energy on her schooling. From my understanding, her family really fought hard to get into the States and begin this new life. 
Her parents wanted the absolute best for their children, and so Marlene focusing on schooling and making something of herself almost was a way to fulfill that dream of a better life for her parents so that she had this better life to do exactly what her parents had hoped for the children. And of course, she wanted to make them so proud, and so school was a huge priority. One of her dreams was to become a fashion designer, and from all of the pictures that I saw of her, she would have been great. She was absolutely beautiful and looked to always be dressing very cute and on trend. At the young age of 15, Marlene met a young man by the name of Giovanni Lopez, and the two of them fell in love quickly. And in 2016, the couple welcomed their first child, which was a baby boy that they named Joshua. A few years into their relationship, Giovanni and Marlene got married. And it seems like during her first pregnancy, Marlene stepped away from school. From what I'm understanding, she took some time off from school to figure out how to navigate pregnancy and that life of a new mom. But after some time off, she was ready to begin pursuing her education once more. She got herself enrolled at the Youth Latino High School in Chicago, Illinois, and started to work towards her diploma again, which that's not an easy thing to do. Being a mom, a wife, and a student can be tough for anyone to juggle. But Giovanni and Marlene made it work, and they did so with an incredible family support system. In 2018, at the age of 19, while still trying to finish out her schooling, Marlene found out that she was pregnant once again. Of course, Giovanni and Marlene were so excited to grow their family. They were incredible parents to the one child that they already had, but they did have some fears about being so young with two children. They still were not finished with school, and they were worried about how they were going to provide for their growing family. While waiting for the arrival of their second baby, Marlene found this Facebook group for mothers within her area. And the purpose of this group was to connect with other moms in the Chicago area to give mom advice, offer support to other moms, and even on occasion buy and sell children's items. This Facebook group was called Help a Sister Out. And I think so many of us have probably seen these types of groups or are a part of them. I know I'm a part of one for the Northwest Las Vegas area, and it's been a huge help with searching for new doctors or recommendation on dentist and kind of things of that nature. I've also seen women in these groups set up playdates for their children and just ask for advice on mom life. Now, Marlene was really hoping to score some baby items from this group as well as advice from other mothers. Given that she and Giovanni didn't have a lot of money and a second child on the way, Marlene was looking for ways to be frugal with this pregnancy and the things that she got for this baby. Now, within this group, there was a woman by the name of Clarissa Figueroa, and she was a 46-year-old woman who happened to be pregnant with a baby boy as well. It was reported that Clarissa had at least two other children, a daughter named Desiree Figueroa, who was 25 at the time, and a son named Xander, who tragically died in 2018 at the age of 20. 
Obviously, the death of a child is completely devastating and hard for any parent to deal with, and Clarissa was no different. She struggled tremendously with the loss of her son, but she surprised everyone a few months after his death by announcing that she was pregnant in October of 2018. Now, this announcement shocked Desiree. She didn't know that it was even possible for her mother to have another baby because she knew that her mother had had her tubes tied many years before. But for whatever reason, she didn't question her mother Clarissa and just kind of went with the flow. After announcing this pregnancy, Clarissa also started posting things on social media, including an ultrasound picture in December of 2018. And in February 2019, she shared pictures of a decorated nursery, which included a crib that had baby blankets and stuffed animals inside and a changing table. On March 5th, Clarissa also joined that Facebook group, and she posted looking for other mamas who she could connect with and talk to that was also due in May like her. Marlene had commented on that thread stating that she was also due in May, and Clarissa and Marlene started talking back and forth on that post. On that same day that Clarissa made her post, Marlene had also made a post of her own. And in her post, she was stating that she was still in need of a lot of things for her son that was due May 5th. She stated that due to her being in school, she couldn't work, so she couldn't afford to buy the remaining items she needed since she was short on funds. Clarissa replied to her post stating that she had some new things that she would be willing to give to her. Marlene asked where she was located, and the two commented back and forth to each other. At one point, Clarissa just tells Marlene to message her, and the two would plan when to get together and work out all of the details. Clarissa told Marlene that she could pick up the items from her home on April 1st and that she would give her a bunch of free stuff. At some point before this April 1st meeting, Clarissa had told her daughter Desiree that she was in need of her help. She told her daughter that she needed help finding a pregnant woman to murder so that she could steal her baby to claim it as her own and raise it with her boyfriend. And I'm not really sure how Desiree reacted to this. Had my mom approached me and said something like this, I would have been absolutely flabbergasted. I would have been confused. I would have been like, wait, what? absolutely not. What are you thinking? What is wrong with you? And then I would immediately call the police and report this. This is absolutely not a normal conversation to just be having like it's no big deal. But Desiree did none of that. And instead, she just went to her mother's boyfriend, which was 40-year-old Peter Boback. And she pretty much told him like, hey, my mom requested my help to kill a pregnant lady for the sake of her baby. And the boyfriend was shocked that Clarissa would be seriously thinking about this. He told Desiree that if she or her mother ever hurt a woman for the sake of taking her baby, he would immediately report it to police. And it seemed like the conversation was just done after this. And I don't really know if he confronted Clarissa. There isn't a ton of information about that. But fast forward to April 1st, 2019, when Marlene was set to go over to Clarissa's house to pick up those baby clothes that 
Clarissa had agreed to give to her. At the house, Clarissa wasn't alone. Her boyfriend was there as well as her daughter, Desiree. The four were hanging out downstairs in the basement of the home, and Clarissa's boyfriend, Peter, felt like Desiree and Clarissa were acting extremely off. The two would glance at each other frequently, they'd whisper to each other, and they even got up several times, leaving the room to talk privately in another room. Peter had also noticed that Desiree appeared to be shaking, and she was just kind of fidgety and just couldn't sit still. And in his mind, he was thinking that these two better not be planning something with this woman. At some point, he pulls Desiree aside and he reminds her that they better not be pulling anything because he will report them to police immediately. Desiree reassures him that nothing is going to happen, that the entire thing was just a joke, and that it was still a joke that they were pulling on him since it was April Fool's Day. After some time of hanging out and chatting, Clarissa gives Marlene the baby clothes and Marlene leaves the house with no issues. At this point, Marlene felt like she just made a new friend. She felt comfortable with Clarissa and Desiree after being at their home and hanging out for a while. Not to mention, I think the idea of getting murdered to have your baby stolen was the last thing that anyone would ever consider happening to them. And I think Marlene was the same. She would have never imagined that that would happen. I know for myself personally, when I was a young mom, I made friends with people online that was within my community on Facebook. I was desperate to have that extra socialization with moms who were going through the same thing as me. Never in a million years did I think anything bad would happen to me when I met up for playdates and things of that nature. And like Marlene, I was very trusting of women and mothers like myself that I met and talked to online. So on that April 1st, Marlene got some baby clothes and other items from Clarissa. And the two kept in contact. And on Tuesday, April 23rd, 2019, Marlene had arranged to go back over to Clarissa's house to pick up a few more items that Clarissa agreed to part with. One of them being a stroller, which was something that Marlene was in desperate need of. Marlene first attended high school that morning at the Latino Youth High School, and then she had planned to swing by Clarissa's home before picking up her son Joshua at his daycare. According to the Chicago Tribune, around 10.40 a.m., Marlon had texted Giovanni telling him how tired she was that day and how she felt like it was a possibility that she was going into labor. He asked her if he should pick her up, but she told him no and just to wait. Marlon left directly from the high school after school was out and went straight over to Clarissa's house that afternoon. Later in the evening, Marlene's husband, Giovanni, received a call from Joshua's daycare stating that Marlene never came to pick up their son. On April 23, 2019, when 19-year-old Marlene didn't show up to pick up her son from daycare, her husband, Giovanni Lopez, knew immediately that something had to be wrong. Marlene wasn't the type of woman to just not show up for something, especially when it pertained to her son. 
And if there was ever a reason that she couldn't pick up Joshua from daycare or even if she was running late, she would always make sure that someone knew. If she hadn't intended on picking up Joshua, she would have called Giovanni for him to do it instead. So when he got this call, he knew that something wasn't right. As soon as he hung up with the daycare, he called Marlene's mom to see if she had seen or heard from her, and she told him that she hadn't spoken to Marlene at all that day. Now, at first, her family and husband were all leaning towards the possibility that Marlene had unexpectedly gone into labor. She already said that she was feeling tired that day and that it was a possibility that she was going into labor, so maybe she had gone to the hospital alone and was unable to contact anyone due to being in labor. Marlene was nine months pregnant, and she was just about two weeks shy of her due date, so this seemed like this was the most plausible answer at the time. But after calling all of the hospitals within the area and not a single one of them having Marlene as a patient, their worries heightened. Then, of course, their minds went to the worst. What if something terrible had happened to her? And at one point, Marlene's family was even looking at Giovanni with suspicion. It has been said that the couple had fallen on some tough times in the months prior to her going missing, so they wondered if he had something to do with it. And the idea that anyone could think that he was capable of doing harm to his pregnant wife completely crushed Giovanni. He was so devastated by her going missing and was just beside himself with worry. So when the hospitals turned up with no sign of her, the family went to the police department to file her as a missing person. Sadly, at first, the police didn't seem overly concerned with the situation. Marlene was 19 years old. She was an adult. She hadn't been missing for that long at this point in time. And so they just kind of brushed it off and told them that they needed to wait 24 hours. The next day when Marlene still hadn't contacted anyone or shown back up, her mom went to file the missing persons report, but she was told that it had to be Giovanni who filed her as missing, which he did later that day on April 24th. But even with this news of a missing pregnant mom, the police still did not release the information about her disappearance to the public and didn't publicize the case for two more days, according to the Chicago Tribune. And that is absolutely infuriating to think about because of how close she was to her due date. That is pretty urgent if you ask me. For days, her family called all of the hospitals hoping and praying that she had been checked in somewhere unexpectedly and that she just couldn't be reached. According to that same Chicago Tribune article, on April 25th, her family got a spark of hope when Raquel called to the Mercy Hospital and was shocked to hear the receptionist on the other end say that there was a person at the hospital with her daughter's name, and the receptionist stated that the patient was in the emergency room undergoing a cesarean delivery. Her mother rushed to the hospital, feeling relief that she finally found her daughter. But when asked to be directed to her room, she was told that there was nobody at the hospital with that name. Supposedly, this was some sort of a mix-up, and the receptionist on the phone who said that Marlene was there must have gotten confused somehow. But to Raquel, this was an absolute gut punch. She felt like this was a personal attack on her and that the people at the hospital were doing it to make fun of her. 
As the days passed and still no sign of Marlene anywhere, her mother began to fear that someone had kidnapped Marlene. Desperate for answers, Marlene's family did whatever they could to track down any and all leads, and they really turned to social media for help. As the days went by, there didn't seem to be a lot of movement on the case. And Marlene's father, Arnolfo, was extremely frustrated because he mainly spoke Spanish, and so he was struggling to communicate with the authorities that were working her case. Very few people at the police department spoke Spanish, so he took matters into his own hands and hired a private investigator on May 1st, who he was able to communicate with more easily. Arnolfo hired him to work for 35 hours. The following day on May 2nd, the family held their very first press conference, and at this point, Marlene had been missing for nine days. And again, her family was frustrated with the lack of progress and updates from the police. During this news conference, her family and a woman by the name of Julia Rooney, who worked at Marlene's school as a social worker, pleaded for her safe return. Raquel expressed concern that someone was holding her daughter against her will, and her father stated that she had, quote, never disappeared before, end quote. The family was completely distraught and upset, but it was after this press conference that the school social worker Julia received a tip. Julia received screenshots from that Facebook group, Help a Sister Out. The person who sent these showed how a woman named Clarissa Figueroa responded to a lot of different posts that Marlene had made, including a post where Marlene was looking for baby items for free or cheap. They handed over these screenshots to authorities in hopes that this would somehow help, but the days continued to tick by with no new leads or updates. On May 5th, what would have been Marlene's due date, her family held their breaths just hoping that she would turn up, but that day came and went. Finally, on May 7th, 2019, there was a major discovery in the case. On May 7, 2019, pregnant 19-year-old Marlena Choa Lopez had been missing for two weeks. According to the Chicago Tribune, this was the same day that Brendan Denahan, who was the deputy chief of detectives, said they saw those screenshots for the very first time. Despite her family claiming that they had handed over that information well before that day. These screenshots showed that Marlene had arranged to pick up items from a 46-year-old woman by the name of Clarissa Figueroa on the day that she was last seen. When the authorities arrived at the home of Clarissa Figueroa, they were greeted by her daughter Desiree, who told them that her mother had recently went into labor at home and that she was now at the Advocate Christ Medical Center in Oak Lawn. After learning of this baby that Clarissa allegedly had, the authorities knew that they had to get to the hospital, and fast. But before leaving the neighborhood where Clarissa lived, they spotted Marlin's car not even a block up the road. I think finding the car was almost the icing on the cake. They had a hint of an idea that maybe Clarissa had murdered Marlene for her baby, but after seeing that Marlene's car was still in the neighborhood, they felt quite certain that that was exactly what happened. 
But on that same day, a newborn was found in an alleyway on the northwest side of Chicago, giving everyone hope that this baby was Marlene and Giovanni's and that Marlene was going to be found alive somewhere. According to the New York Post, a person walking by an alley heard the cries of a baby and discovered a newborn baby boy had been left on top of a trash can. The person who found the baby brought the baby to a nearby fire station where he was then transported to the Norwegian American Hospital and then to a different children's hospital. Unfortunately, though, this baby was not Marlin's and instead was the baby of a 16-year-old girl and a 17-year-old boy. Both teens were charged with first-degree attempted murder, and the mother of the baby was also charged with filing a false police report. On top of their charges, a woman named Carla Antimo was also charged with one felony count of false report of offense. Carla was the baby's paternal grandmother, and she was also the person who allegedly walked by this alleyway and found the baby. I will link the ABC 30 article that details this incident in the description of this episode if you want to fully read up on it. But ultimately, as we see, this unknown baby boy was not Marlon's baby, and Giovanni and the rest of Marlon's family learned that news on May 8th. But on that same day is when the authorities told her family that they had found Marlon's car. Tips were coming in of potential sightings of Marlon, and so her family held on to hope that she was going to be found. Behind the scenes, though, the authorities were making their way to Christ Medical Center to talk with Clarissa. When they spoke with her, Clarissa denied Marlon having ever come over on that day that she disappeared, and Clarissa claimed that that was the day that she had given birth to her own baby and arrived at the hospital due to complications. The authorities learned that on April 23rd, just after 6 p.m., the Chicago Fire Department responded to a 911 call that a baby had been born and was not breathing. When the paramedics arrived, the baby had appeared to be blue. According to the Chicago Tribune, paramedics started advanced life support and radioed for another ambulance. Paramedics asked Clarissa, who claimed to have just given birth, if she had any cramps, bleeding, or feelings of dizziness, all of which she said no. She was taken separately to the same hospital as the baby, just as a standard precaution. It was said by the Chicago Tribune that despite the hospital doing an exam on Clarissa and her having no signs that she had just given birth, they still allowed her to make medical decisions for the baby, who at this point was in the NICU and was found to have had no brain activity due to the lack of oxygen after birth. In the days after the baby was brought to the hospital, a GoFundMe page had been started by Clarissa where she was seeking $9,000. She included pictures of the baby hooked up to a breathing tube and monitors, as well as pictures of herself and her boyfriend holding the baby. And I'm going to read you the description that Clarissa wrote on this GoFundMe page. It read, quote, I am reaching out today on behalf of a precious little angel. Xander Xavier Bobak. The neonatal intensive care unit at Christ Hospital is a special place that I hope none of you ever have to be a part of. This part of the hospital is where they care for the sickest and teeniest babies who may live in the hospital for months at a time. 
Life in the NICU is a roller coaster ride for families. The ups and downs can be incredibly satisfying or equally heartbreaking. Watching a one-pound baby who quite literally fits in the palm of an adult hand grow up to laugh and play is nothing short of a miracle. But sadly, not every parent has that joy. On April 23rd, Clarissa Figueroa, pregnant at 36 weeks, found herself terrified as she began to experience abnormal labor pains while alone in her house. Within moments, she gave birth to her son, Xander, at 7 pounds as she called 911 and followed the instructions of the emergency dispatcher. Quickly, the ambulance came and rushed the baby and performed CPR as they found that baby had been struggling without oxygen. They were both admitted to the hospital to discover Clarissa was suffering from preeclampsia, explaining the sudden birth. Xander, his mother Clarissa, and his father Peter Bobak have found themselves staying at Christ Hospital, desperately hoping Xander will pull through. In the NICU, some parents have to hold their infant as they take their last breath, and others get a call that their baby suddenly died in the middle of the night. This is what Clarissa and Peter are experiencing at this very moment. They are preparing to say goodbye to their baby boy as they have to accept that Xander won't survive too much longer. Baby Xander, despite all he is going through, is a little fighter and has already captured the hearts of many families. It is an unimaginable loss that no person should ever have to endure. One you never get over. Honoring the short life that baby Xander had is one small way to help provide closure and start the mourning process for the family, end quote. It was said that the money from the GoFundMe would help fund a funeral as well as medical expenses, and this GoFundMe raised over $1,000 before the truth would come out. On May 9th, the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services was notified by police and given the rundown about the circumstances surrounding the baby at the Christ Medical Center. That same afternoon, Giovanni Lopez was also told about this baby and that it could potentially be Marlene's. He gave the authorities a sample of his DNA for testing, but the entire family didn't want to get their hopes up. They were completely crushed when that first baby that was found abandoned was not Marlin's, so they were extremely hesitant to get their hopes up about this one, too. On May 13th, just four days after the DNA test was submitted, Marlin's family learned that the baby on life support at the Christ Medical Center was, in fact, Marlin and Giovanni's sweet baby boy. The following day, with a search warrant in hand, the authorities arrived to Clarissa Figueroa's home in the 4100 block of West 77th Place. When they arrived to the home, they found Peter Bobak outside cleaning a rug with a hose and bleach. According to the prosecutors, when they approached him, Peter dropped the bleach and the hose and walked away. The authorities began searching the house and property for any clues, and there in the corner of the backyard, they spotted a garbage can. When they lifted the lid, they found a black garbage bag inside, and inside that bag was the badly decomposed body of Marlene Ochoa Lopez. 
Still wrapped around her neck was the cable that was used to strangle her. On May 15th, Marlene's family was notified of the discovery of a body that they believed was Marlene. The following day, they gathered at the medical examiner's office where Marlene's father, Arnolfo, had to be helped into the building by relatives because he was racked with so much grief. The same day that Arnolfo, Raquel, and Giovanni had to identify Marlene, Clarissa and Desiree Figueroa were arrested and charged with murder, and Peter Bobak was arrested and charged with helping to conceal a homicide and obstructing justice. On May 17th, Desiree Figueroa gave a detailed video confession on what had happened. And once more, I just want to give this a major warning because these details are extremely disturbing. So please, please be warned. Desiree told police about her mother initially coming to her a month before the murder asking for her help to kill a pregnant woman. She said they lured Marlene to the home on April 23rd with the promise of more baby items. When Marlene got there, she came inside the house and sat on the couch in the living room to visit with them. After some time, Desiree and Clarissa turned the music up so Marlene wouldn't overhear their conversation as they walked into the kitchen. There, they discussed how they would kill Marlene. Clarissa told Desiree that she would sneak up behind Marlene and strangle her. Desiree went back into the living room and began showing her a photo album of her deceased brother to distract Marlene. Clarissa wrapped a cable around her hands and then came up behind the couch where Marlene was sitting and put the cable around her neck, pulling it tight. At one point, Marlene was able to get her fingers under the cable enough to pull it away from her neck some. And this is when Clarissa looked over at her daughter and yelled at her and said, quote, you're not doing your effing job, end quote. Desiree then proceeded to peel each one of Marlene's fingers away from the cable one by one as her mother continued the relentless pressure around her neck. She then got on top of Marlene and continued to strangle her for another four to five minutes. Desiree stated that Marlene reached out to the family dog where she touched its nose before she went limp and urinated on herself. That is when Clarissa said she knew that Marlene was dead. Desiree asked her how she knew, and Clarissa proceeded to tell her daughter that she researched how long it took to strangle someone with a cable. She found that it took four to five minutes, and when they were finally dead, that the person would urinate. From there, Clarissa instructed her daughter to get a blanket, a large plastic bag, and a butcher knife. She got those things for her mother before leaving her alone to do what she was going to do. Clarissa then used the knife to cut Marlene from side to side and reached inside, pulling out the baby, the umbilical cord, and the placenta. She placed all of the items, including the baby, inside of a bucket. She then wrapped Marlene in a blanket, shoved her lifeless body in a large plastic bag, tied it tight, and then drug it out and tossed it inside the garbage can as if she was a piece of trash. After disposing of Marlene, Clarissa called 911 to report that she had just given birth and that the baby was not breathing. After Clarissa and the baby were taken to the hospital, Desiree then took Marlene's phone and her car to another location. 
she was spotted on traffic cameras driving Marlin's car. At some point, Desiree disposed of Marlin's phone before driving the car back to the neighborhood where she lived with her mother and abandoned it a half a block up the road. Peter Bobak helped clean up any of the blood that was found within the home despite him making threats that he was going to report them if they tried to do anything to Marlene. And what really infuriates me about Peter's involvement here is that he had told them that he would turn them in. But when it actually came down to it, not only did he help conceal the murder by cleaning up the house, he also shared on Facebook images of the baby saying, quote, My son is a fighter, made it this far, but not much time left. Life support, brain dead, very little function in the brain. Born 4-23-19, p.m., end quote. With this caption, he shared that GoFundMe link. This makes me so incredibly mad because he didn't follow through with those threats and then was trying to pass this baby off as his own as well. And he knew that it wasn't. He knew eventually that Clarissa wasn't pregnant, yet he still went with all of this. Marlene and Giovanni had planned to name their baby after him. And so once her family was able to go in and see him, they officially made sure his name was listed as Giovanni instead of the name that Clarissa had given him. For nearly two months, sweet baby Giovanni remained on life support, and her family prayed over him in hopes of some miracle. Sadly, though, on June 14th, 2019, Giovanni and Marlene's family made the decision to take the baby off of life support, and he passed away. I can imagine how hard that was for them not only having just lost Marlene, but this sweet and innocent baby who didn't even get a chance at life. On June 26, according to the Chicago Tribune, both Clarissa and Desiree pled not guilty to more than two dozen counts of first-degree murder, aggravated kidnapping, dismembering a human body, and concealing a homicidal death. As we know, it can take a really long time within our justice system for these cases to go through the courts. There's so many things that have to take place. Motions are often filed. It's just a long, drawn-out process. And due to the COVID-19 pandemic, it just made things that much more delayed. As of right now, both Desiree and Clarissa's cases have yet to go to trial, and I couldn't find any pending date on when those are set to begin. According to local 12 news station, Clarissa Figueroa was in court in August of 2022, where her attorney filed a motion to invalidate her arrest and suppress evidence investigators collected from her home after the killing. But this was thankfully denied. The Chicago Sun-Times reported on January 23, 2023, that Peter Bobak accepted a plea deal for his role in covering up Marlene's murder. And here is where I think you guys are going to get really pissed off. Peter accepted a plea of four years on a reduced charge of obstructing justice. And what an absolute slap in the face for her family. Personally, I feel like this is complete BS and things shouldn't have gone down this way. The Sun-Times also reported that Judge Peggy Chimpass noted that Peter had already served a little over three and a half years in Cook County Jail and will only serve less than four more months. 
After his release, Peter will only be on parole for six months. So again, this was in January of this year when this was decided. That means Peter is going to be released very, very soon if he has not been already. I couldn't find his name on the inmate roster for Cook County, but there also hasn't been anything posted in the media about his release. I also looked up Clarissa Figueroa, and it looks like her next court appearance is coming up very quickly and that she is due in court on May 30th of this year. Clarissa's daughter, Desiree, is also still in custody at the Cook County Jail, and she is due in court in just two days on May 22nd, 2023. Since they have not officially gone in front of a jury, I will be keeping a very close eye on this case so I can give you guys updates as everything unfolds in court. As of right now, there's no details on when this will finally happen, but for Marlene's family, I do hope that it's sooner rather than later. There was an interview done with Marlene's parents, and unfortunately, it's in Spanish, and I wasn't able to find it translated into English, but I did watch another YouTuber talk about this interview, and she stated that Marlene's family doesn't want the death penalty for Clarissa and Desiree. They want them to have to suffer in prison for the rest of their lives and not get off easy by getting death. I will link this interview in the description of this episode for any of our Spanish-speaking listeners who want to give it a listen. The family at one point had a GoFundMe that was started for Giovanni and Joshua, and it raised nearly $61,000 before it was closed. It's amazing to see how many people rallied together for Marlene and her family after this tragedy. Unfortunately, that's about all of the information that I have at this time on this case. I just want to say, you guys, please be careful out there. It's an extremely scary world out there that we live in, and people are getting more and more bold with what they will do to someone. My heart hurts for Marlene, Giovanni, her son Joshua, and baby Giovanni, who didn't even get a chance at life, and her entire family. This case is just so tragic, and it's scary to think that people out there think that they can just get away with something like this. But as I said at the beginning of this episode, it seems like this is something that is happening more often than we even realize. It's just scary, and we truly cannot trust anyone. Crimeaholics, if you are not already a part of our private Facebook group, make sure you join by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group. In there, we share all information and pictures pertaining to the cases that we cover, and we also encourage all of our members to share all things true crime. You can also find us over on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast, and if you'd like more true crime content, you can follow me on TikTok at crimeaholics.podcast. Lastly, if you'd wish to follow myself personally to see what I'm doing in life and what is all going on for me, you can find me on Instagram at Crimeaholly. Crimeaholics, you guys have a safe rest of your week and always remember to be aware and take care.